message is entitled Day the Wise and the Otherwise. The reality of it was it was a lot longer than that. Here's, what the, the, here's the, the long version of the title. You ready for it? You may want to write this down. It is epic. There's two kinds of people in the world, the wise and the otherwise. And I know that very, very well because in seventh grade, I smarted off to a teacher in junior high. That's how old I am, middle school, junior high. And I had the privilege of writing that statement on blackboards 250 times. <laughs> you know, we had the old classrooms that had blackboards on every wall, you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and uh, I'm not sure how much chalk I used up, but I'll guarantee you, he got it across because now this is 40 plus years later, 50 years plus later, and I still know that for well. You know, I think probably James might have entitled this section of James the same way, that there are two kinds of people, the wise and the otherwise. I want you to turn your Bible to James in chapter 3. We're going to finish out this chapter beginning in 13. Chris did a great job talking about the tongue and talking about the intention and talking about the heart and talking about how we know about maturity, and that is how we speak. And so he further amplifies, James further amplifies this beginning in verse 13. He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, of good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Let's pray together. Father, we just, um, I pray that today that we learn two things. That we need understanding, we need knowledge, but God, more than that, we need wisdom. And so Lord, help us to understand the difference. Help us to know uh, the condition of our heart. And may we choose each day to be more like you in how we speak and how we say our words and, and what we say. So Lord, give us wisdom and understanding even at this moment for these verses. In Christ's name, amen. You know, James continues this train of thought that uh, Chris described so eloquently last week. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go on YouTube uh, and watch that sermon. But, he, but here James uh, continues that same train of thought. But now he talks specifically addressing the leaders of the church. Now you might say, well, I'm not a preacher I'm not a teacher, 
you know, I'm not a leader of the church, so I'll just shut you off, wake me up when you're through, and we'll go home and have lunch. But let me just interject something for you. The older I am, the more I realize that my leadership is more powerful and more necessary in the world than it is in this building. We are to be people, we are all to be leaders in our lives where we are, whether it's in your home, in your neighborhood. You may be a life group leader, you may be a, a teaching pastor, be one of our elders of our church. Um, we need that wisdom and understanding. But you need to realize that when you walk out of here, you have a sphere of influence and a sense of leadership that you need to latch on to. Whether you work on a warehouse dock or in a warehouse or in a cubicle or you have an office, whether you think you are classified as blue collar or white collar or no collar or retired or whatever it may be, you have a sphere of influence in your life because you're around people every day and you speak words every day. Am I right? No matter where you go, unless you're a mute and can't speak, but even then you sign language. Am I right? Probably need sign language tonight. That'd be probably good. But, you know, we speak every single day. And we have influence in our life. And so I think James talks to all of us. He specifically talks to these leaders, the teachers, the rabbis, the leaders within the church of that day. But I'm going to take privilege in saying is that the church is not just this building. It is the world in which you live. I had an employee one time, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it this way. An employee one time asked me um, at a trucking company, he said, well, where's your office? And I said, buddy, you're standing on it. Because wherever I'm standing, that's my office. I don't have a cubicle, a desk. My office is right here. And we're, that, we're all that way. This is our office. This is who we are. And we have that sphere of influencing people every single day. So I think all of us need to take attention and pay great attention to what he says today. Now I want to give you a visible illustration. These are brick that were left after building my house. I think it was built 15 years ago. Wade, you can have these. I'm sure you can have these. I know you're building your house. I told Julie you could have. I have four. I have this from this two and two from Mount Judas. At least I got you four bricks. So get, yeah, I got, get, get, we can get the cornerstone going. That's right. But these are my brick. I can do with them what I want to. I own them. Got that? And in my heart and with my heart, I can choose to take this brick and I can choose to hurl it right at you. Two people just flinched. <laughs> I can choose to be mad and I can take this brick and throw it through a window. Watched them do it in Africa. Two weeks before Mandela was elected, they burned down a shopping center and looted about the size of River, uh, Rivergate Mall. And they were busting out windows in stores and taking out, of all things, this guy had a huge grandfather clock on his shoulder. I said, why a grandfather clock? I mean, but anyway, I, I can choose to do that. Or 
I can choose to take this brick. It's not very, you'll understand though. And I can build a foundation. My choice, my brick. Folks, these are your words. Every day you own your words. They're yours. They belong to you. And your heart chooses what you do with your words. And sometimes when those words come out, we end up being either wise or the otherwise. Let's see what James says about what it means. He says to the the leaders, I think, and to all of us, number one, you just can't know it. You have to do it. Look what he says in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good character, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from what? Wisdom. How you live your life on a daily basis is just as important or maybe even more important than what you know and what you say. It's more important than the accumulation of knowledge and the ability, eloquently or not, to speak. In many ways, James is expanding what his thoughts in chapter 1 in verse 22, and he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, uh, deceiving yourselves. So he says we need to be those who are wise and understanding. We need to conduct ourselves in so way. There is a difference between wisdom and understanding, or wisdom and knowledge. I found this the other day. Someone wisely know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that the tomatoes are fruit. But wisdom is knowing you don't put them in a fruit salad. <laughs> right? It's not a, commu- a accumulation of everything we know. He says those who are wise and understanding, and it is a phrase that was used for teachers, for scribes, for rabbis. He says don't just know it. Don't come here and pursue a, an accumulation of knowledge. I love Bible study. I really do. I, I, a lot of you are in different life groups and women's Bible study and all that kind of stuff. But if you only come to assimilate knowledge, you've missed half of your life. Because he says you need to be wise, but also mature or understanding. And it is something we do deliberately. It is the picture that he used earlier of the bridal in the bit, the bit, bright biddle, uh, bright biddle, that's good. The bit and the bridle that you put inside the horse's mouth. I had a horse at our ranch, his name, her hunt name was Honey. And uh, she was a powerful horse. Died in childbirth, I hate losing that, that, that horse. It was, one of my, it was my favorite horse. And, uh, but she was a very powerful horse. You could see it in her muscles, her legs, her determination. Uh, she would flat skedaddle. But she did it under control. Uh, There was only one time that that she didn't do what I asked her to do. We came to a creek. I had to get across to get the bull out of the bull pasture and put it back on the cows. And those of you who don't understand that, don't worry about it. Those some do. But uh, she just stomped her two feet right down at the edge of this creek and did not move. And I spurred her and I kicked her. 
and I called her wonderful names, and all of a sudden, in front of me, about a five or six foot boa uh, water moskin jumped straight up and went left. And she jumped straight up and went right. <laughs> now the good thing is, I got up and went with her. <laughs> Praise God. And when all was calmed down, I got off the horse and I looked at her. Now I'm in control, but I realized, I said, honey, I will never doubt it when you put both your feet down saying, I shall not be moved. <laughs> but you and I are in control. You know, it, it is that intent of the heart. It is, it is that choice, a deliberate choice we make to have gentleness and humility. You can go out and do anything you want to, but you choose every day to let the, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to be in control of your life. You know, we are a flesh. I mean, we, we battle with that. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, and it is the battle between the ears. You know, if Satan was a real person, let's get some AK-15s or whatever, they AR-15s, Let's take him out and move on. But he's a spirit. He dwells in the spirit and he's between our minds. And we battle with him every day on who's going to be on the throne of our life. And James is saying those are leaders. Those are leaders. He says, you who are wise and understanding, you who know what to do. He says, choose today to choose the spirit of the God to control you in your life. That we let the Holy Spirit control our words and our actions. You know, we have rights. And you have the right to choose, but, some, but in most cases, we don't have the freedom to choose the consequences. And those hurt. And as I think what he, Chris said last week, you know, once those mouths, are, I mean, when those words are out of our mouth, it's like putting toothpaste back in the toothpaste holder. It just doesn't happen. How many of you today, well, don't mind, maybe not raise your hand. How many of y'all wish you could have taken some words back that you spoke? You set them in anger. You set them out of the flesh. It was a knee-jerk reaction. And when it's done, it's done. You wish you could slap a coat of paint on it real quick, say it doesn't exist anymore, but it, it, you can't cover it up. It's done. And so he says, we desperately need those of you who are wise and understanding. Let's do it every day under the control of the Holy Spirit. So James, very quick, James says, uh, we, can, we can identify who are the wise and the otherwise. We're going to get to the otherwise first. Look in verse 14. It gives us a pretty detailed list. He says, if you, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. Now, the way this is written in the Greek, James assumes this is already happening in the church. James, in essence, is giving a warning to everyone. There are leaders, there are people out there who are unwise, they are the otherwise, and they are not finding the authorship of their wisdom from God, but they're finding authorship 
from the world, and you need to be very well aware of them. May I say this to you? It still exists today. One man once said at one time, if Satan can't keep you from the truth, then he'll distort the truth you get. And let me tell you something. You do not, please, you do not believe what I say here today because I'm the one standing here and you just trust me. You believe me because it is the word of God. It's buffered by that. If I am wise, it's because I've been wise enough to adequately and discern what the word of God says. We just don't accept things people say, well, he's a big guy and he's got a big TV show and he's got a big church and, and all this other stuff. We just don't, well, he must be, God must be really blessing. And let me tell you what, Satan blesses a lot of folks that are distorting truth today. And we need to be wise as serpents. So what are the characteristics of those who are otherwise? He says, number one, they have bitter envy. It's the same Greek work he used to describe the bitter water that comes from the spring. Back in verse 11, does the spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? It is a deep-seated, selfish egotism. It's someone who says, it is all about me. The world's axis revolves around me. You know, it's that kind of person that walks in and says, man, you, you need to tell me how good I am. You know, somebody who walks in and thinks they have clever words and they, you know, that, that ability, kind of like charlatan ability just to, to say something in a way that everybody's attractive, but in reality, it's just about them. It's to make them look good and not to lift up the Savior. And so he says it is bitter envy. But second of all, he says it's self-ambition in your heart. In other words, it's self-seeking. Some people want to promote a self-agenda. You know, and they say it's my way or the highway. Make it very clear. You follow me, you don't like it, there's the door. You know, there is no godliness in the relationship between the person who is leading and, and the people who are listening. You know, and they're not being very wise in how they do that. Third of all, they're boasting and lying. The, in fact, the false preachers were priding themselves in sharing that perceived truth so that it was used to their own advantage their own agenda. All these words basically say the same thing is that the source of all this is not from God. It is from the pits of hell. This person is being controlled selfishly by their own flesh and it is being fed by the world and what the world says. You know, James says the wisdom of the otherwise is, and he says it very directly. He says it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. In other words, it's not from God. It's taught by somebody who's not filled by the Spirit of God. It's, not, it's taught by somebody who doesn't seek the Spirit of God in their life every day. It's not someone who has a passion that says, not me, but Christ in me. These are the otherwise. And it promotes worldly standards. And it, here's the interesting thing. James says it produces disorder and an atmosphere of anarchy and turmoil. I'll tell you one of the great ways that we can, 
You know, is, is what we do as a church body, let's just look at ourselves as a leader within our community. Let's call ourselves uh, leaders. Are we promoting unity within the community? Are we trying to bring a chaotic world that lives, these neighborhoods, these businesses around here, are we trying to bring them into oneness in Christ? Or what we're doing is, is just producing confusion and anarchy, and, and there is no sense of what's going on. He said that's the kind of people they are in the otherwise. And that calamity, it produces nothing for the kingdom of God, and it doesn't have any spiritual uh, events. And it can destroy rather than build. It can destroy a life group, you know. It can destroy church. It can destroy ministry. It can destroy one person in what they do. So he says, don't pursue the otherwise. But number three, he says, always pursue being wise in your life. And then he gives us, just as much as he details the characteristics of those who are not wise and those that are from, from below, from earth, he gives very detailed as to who are those who are living the wise life. He said, wisdom from above, where it comes from, from God, is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. You know, he wants us to know, you know, what are the characteristics? When, when you look at a person and you want them to be your leader, you look at somebody and says, should this man or this woman be the leader of my life group? Or should this man be one of our teaching pastors? Or should this man be one of our elders? You know, are, the, are these wise people that we're putting up there for leadership? He gives the characteristics. He says, number one, this kind of wisdom is pure. It's, it comes from the same Greek word that we get the word holy. It is clean. It is innocent. It is a perfectness. Absent of sinful attitude or motive. It's the opposite of self-seeking. Now, I'm not saying is that uh, everyone, every leader should be perfect. Please don't hear that. But we pursue every day becoming what Christ wants us to be. It's not that we always arrive but in my case, and I'm sure there are other cases of men and women who are leaders in here, you know it when you kind of get off track because the Spirit of God just touching, saying, you don't really need to go there. It's that passion in your life that you always want to be pure before God. Second of all, it's peace-loving. It is the opposite of competitivism and selfish ambition. It is a characteristic that we passionately want everyone to be one in Christ. Again, it's the opposite of everything being in disarray and in turmoil. It is we are at peace because God's in control. Now, let me just say some of you are like me and you have medical issues in your life. And sometimes we just get overwhelmed by those or maybe some of you have lost a job or, or some like I'm, I'm working with in my own companies that are afraid that they're losing their jobs. And let me tell you, the, the kick reaction of the flesh is that doesn't produce peace. But when I, produce pe when I pursue peace, 
it makes me say, God, you have an answer. God, you have a plan. God, you knew this long before I did. And you've allowed it, and there's purpose in it, and God, you're going to get the glory for it. Don't know how it's all going to happen, but you're going to get the glory, and it's going to be for your good, but it's also going to be for my benefit. You know, the God of peace wants to produce peace in your life. And that is, happens when we accept the wise words of the Word of God and from our Father, and then we also implement them in our daily life. It says it is, it is gentle. This wisdom is gentle and it's patient. It's one of the greatest description of God that I know. You know, God has the right to take any of us out. I mean, the first time you sin, he could say, that's it. You got one shot, it's over. None of us would be sitting here today, trust me. But God is one of patience. He's slow to anger. His passion is not for you to live in a worldly situation. His passion is for you to experience the love and the mercy and the gentleness and the, and the, the benefit of knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's the God who could have ended the world, but in his wisdom and understanding, he had a better plan in his wisdom and his love and in his grace, he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to offer up the ultimate payment for your sins and for my sins. When you stand before God one day, and you will, and God will ask you a question, maybe not exactly like this, but I think pretty close. Why in the world should I let you into this place? Maybe a little bit more pastoral than that, I don't know. But why do you, why you want to get in here? And for those who say, well, look what I've done. God, I've done all these good things. And I had, I had this ministry and I had all these people following me and, and I always had something to say and, and, and I did a great job and I produced this. And Jesus says, well, I never knew you. But some will come to the door and he'll say, why in the world shall I let you in? God will say, well, you don't deserve it. But in my patience, and you accepted my gift. My son, Jesus Christ. And because you came and sought out true wisdom, and you understand what it means to know Jesus Christ, enter into the gates of heaven. Enter into eternity in the presence of God. He is someone who is gentle. He's also, the interesting wisdom is compliant. It's the only time, it always interesting to me, because this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And it implies a willingness to hear and respond appropriately, not selfishly or egotistically. Now, I'll give you an illustration of this, but just remember, I've got two bricks up here, okay? Everybody remember that? I can do what I want to, that's my will. But I am, I am fascinated by some people on Facebook that uh, they can read something and I can push a button. I don't. Somebody can push a button and I mean it lets out a firestorm. And they start calling people names and where to go and how to get there and they're not this and they're not that and, you know, I'm going to unfriend you and I'm going to do, you know. Let me tell you something. That doesn't produce peace. That's not, it's not something that... Uh, 
is full of mercy. It's not being compliant. Sometimes, folks, we just need to listen and gather our thoughts and give God a chance to talk to us. Someone wants to rattle the government, don't just get in there and say, well, I'm in there with you. Where's the march? Take a moment, let God speak to you and say, maybe, wait a minute, maybe we should pray for our government. You may be liberal, Republican, conservative, ultra this, ultra that, but let me tell you something. I belong to Jesus Christ in whom all things are found unity. And let me tell you something. We may disagree on a couple of things politically, but I'm so glad we can, we can agree on the good things, the, three, the things that count. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before I hit the send button, I want to make sure that what I'm fixing to say to somebody, does it glorify God or me? Does it bring unity and harmony or disorder? You know, does it produce the kingdom or does it promote my agenda? Because, see, we have great influence even on the media, social media today, like I've never seen before. We have a great saying at Corporate Chaplains, and that is before you hit that send button, you pray about it. And take about 20 seconds. One of the things I've learned is I could take a political position very easily, but I will immediately have alienated half the employees that it is my job and my passion to see them come to know Christ. And if I divide them and alienate them, I will never get in their, house, in their world to tell them about the love of Jesus because they have shut me off. And folks, it's the same for you. We need to be people who are compliant, willing to hear and respond appropriately. But he's also full of mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Underline that, highlight it, put exclamation points, light a firecracker near that one. We're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. He's full of mercy. And he says it produces good fruits. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Wisdom produces good fruit. John says in John 15, 4, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. You see, we're not judges, but we can be fruit inspectors. If I want to know your heart, I just look and see what kind of fruit you're bearing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know. What are you producing in your life? Produces good fruits. Wisdom also is unwavering. It's not partial or judging. It doesn't show favoritism. Because everybody matters to God, then everybody matters to you. I talk every day to every race there is uh, in the world, almost. Every, every, almost every single religion that's represented in the world. I stand there face to face, and I'm their chaplain. And I get to talk to them about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm not partial. I, I can't walk in saying, well... 
you deserve some love, but you don't. Or God will love you, but God, he can't, you can't love him. I'm going to give you a great story real quick. Uh, there's a young lady in one of my companies, and she, we had a moment in the break room, and it was just her and me in a huge break room. I love those because they're God-ordained. Let me give you a short story, and I'll tell you a bit. She accepted Jesus Christ. But she came back, and she said, first time she said, let me think about it. And she came back the next week, and here's what she said. I talked to my grandmother. Now, she doesn't go to church, but she knows that Bible. And she says, you're a wise man. And she said, I think you're the smartest man I've ever met in my life. I said, excuse me, just a minute. Let me get the record button. I want, I want Margaret to hear this. <laughs> no. You know. She didn't recognize wisdom from me. She, uh, she recognized the wisdom of God. And she's a radically changed young lady in her life. You know, but, uh, there's no partiality. He says we do it without pretense, without hypocrisy. We don't pretend. We don't say one thing here. We don't sing, oh, I, how, how I love Jesus. And then we walk out of here and our, our mouths are mute as we go out in the world and never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's without pretense. And with justice in mind. When wisdom is sown in peace by those who make peace, then justice is manifested. And when we love peace and have a passion to live in peace, then we're prone to create a climate of peace wherever we go. That's what wisdom does in our lives. So it's pretty important that we are wise and we're understanding. How do we get it? Let's just go back to James 1. Preached it many weeks ago. In James 1, 5. If any man wants wisdom, what did James say? What does God say? You ask. And he doesn't walk up and say, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you one word. And there it is. You asked for it. No. He says, I'm going to give you generously. I'm going to give you generously what real wisdom is. And he can flood us with that wisdom in your life. My prayer for you today is not to be the otherwise. Not to be the person who's constantly out there dividing and showing partiality and producing turmoil and anarchy but be the person who is wise and understanding and has a passion to pursue peace and to pursue it, unity within the body of Christ. Now, let me just end it. Let me end it this way. I had a deacon in my church in Bryan, Texas, where Texas A&M is. Anybody Aggies in here? Oh, man. I had one in Mount Juliet, so that's okay. But um, named Melvin Hartsfield. Now, Melvin barely had a high school education. But Melvin worked for uh, Texas A&M in the maintenance department for, gosh, 40-something years. It got to the point is that if anything broke in any building on any place on the campus, the first person they would call was Melvin Hartsfield. Now, this is a college of engineers, you know, but they called Melvin because he was practical He'd sit back and look at the problem and figure it out. 
Well, one day I was just torn up. I was a brand new preacher. It was my very first full-time church. I was 20-something years old. I knew it all. I had a seminary education. Come on, guys. You know? And I came into this small country church, and I said, man, I am going to change them, and we're going to be a big church, big country church. And they're going to follow me wherever I go, and this is going to be great. One day I called Melvin. I said, Melvin, nothing's going on, man. I preach. I, I go to deacons' meetings. I give suggestions, and nothing happens. He said, come on down here. Melvin had a swing on his back porch. And I swung in that porch many times. You know why? Because Melvin Hartsfield was full of wisdom and understanding. One day he told me, he says, go look at the parsonage. He said, right the middle part, you'll see that. He said, that's the original parsonage. And he said, if you look at the one on the right, it's a little bit different colored uh, top to it. Uh, and so shingles. And that was that. The, the preacher said, we won't come unless you add another bedroom because we've got kids. And so we added it, and he moved in. He's our preacher a while. And then he says, you see the other side? He said, that's the third different color shingle. We had a guy come, and he said, if you don't build a family room, then we won't come. Uh, but if you do it, we'll come. And he says, we did all that. He said, they're gone. We're still here. And Melvin taught me one day on swinging is you don't just demand, you earn. And I will learn very quickly, I was not a young man full of wisdom and understanding. But I learned very quickly to surround myself. People who are wise and understanding. Let me make this practical real quick. Number one, you need to be praying for Scott. I know he's my son. You may need more prayer because he is my son. I'm not sure of it. But you need, to, you need to pray for your campus pastor and for Lynn every day. They need wisdom and understanding. You need to pray for your life group leaders. The men and women who teach those classes, they need to know that they've been bathed in God's voice and God's spirit and what they partake and what they give you, you know it's from God because they've, got, they've gotten the wisdom and understanding from God. You need to pray for yourself because tomorrow you're going to go out into the world and you're going to go somewhere in a business, somewhere, or you may be retired, it may, maybe, your, maybe your business is your neighborhood, whatever. But you're going to talk somewhere tomorrow. I don't think any of us are going to go a day without speaking. Uh, it just doesn't happen very often. If you're speaking, hopefully somebody's listening. But you have the power of influence because you speak words. And you need to pray that you, you have God's wisdom and understanding. And fourth of all, very quickly, let me encourage you, if you don't have it, find you a Melvin Hartsfield. Some man or woman who you'd say, they walk with God. They have wisdom. They have understanding. I need to listen and learn and grow up, have a mentor that can help you become all that God wants you to be in life. Folks, you hold the key. They're your words. Here they are. What are you going to do with them? You going to hurl them tomorrow? Are you going to use words and attitude 
that will help build a foundation and build relationships where people can come to you and know Christ. It's your decision.